Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Today, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about the next uh, king, or really, he's a notorious self-proclaimed king that we find in the Bible by the name of King Absalom. Can somebody say King Absalom? Now, Absalom, he was the third eldest son of King David, and he is known for undermining his father's authority and betraying him. And I believe that there are things that we can take away from his life. So if you don't mind, go ahead and grab your syllabus, open it up to the third week as we talk about King Absalom. And also, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 through 33, that's 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. I'm reading out of the NLT this morning. The subtitle for today's message is this, The Wannabe King. The Wannabe King. But let's go ahead and read the syllabus summary. It says this, A father's mistakes are often reflected in the lives of his children. In Absalom, David saw a bitter replay and amplification of many of his, past, of his own past sins. God had predicted that David's family would suffer because of his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah. By most casual evaluations, Absalom would have made an excellent king, and the people loved him. But he lacked the inner character and control needed in a good leader. His appearance, skill, and position did not make up for the lack of personal integrity. Reading from 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. Anybody ready for the word today? If nothing else I say is good, this will be good right here. It's the word of God. Amen. It says this. Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all of Israel. He was flawless from head to toe. He cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. He weighed it out, and it came to five pounds. Oh, you know you got a big head if the Bible says you got five pounds of hair, y'all. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar, which, get this, he actually named his daughter after his sister because he also had a sister by the name of Tamar as well. And she was very beautiful. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. We're kind of picking up kind of at the beginning, middle of the story, and we'll get more context here soon. And it says, then Absalom sent for Joab, Joab, which Joab was King David's military commander, to ask him to intercede for him. But Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time. But again, Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, Why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed back, stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. In other words, he greeted him. That was customary during that time. Going to the next chapter, we're almost done. It says this, after this, Absalom brought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from. And they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you got a really strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone can bring their cases to me for judgment. 
and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. And it says this, Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Talking about the wannabe king. Can somebody say the wannabe king? We're going to be talking about Absalom this morning. Can we just go ahead and pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather in your presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just begin to search our hearts. We prepare the soil of our hearts, Lord, to receive the word of God. Anoint these words, O God. Do what only you can do. Touch the hearts of people, whether here in the building or watching online. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And if you agree with that, can somebody say amen? Come on, somebody say amen. Go ahead and give Jesus a hand clap. Thank you, Lord. And you may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing in honor of reading of God's word. You know, as I was preparing and praying and studying for this sermon, I began to talk to my wife, Brooklyn, about King Absalom. And uh, because Brooklyn hears every message that I preach multiple times before you guys ever do. Let me tell you that. And come to find out, one of the first assignments that she had in her literary college class was to read a book on King David and King Absalom. Which, take in mind, this is a secular university, and yet they thought the story was worth picking up, reading, and gleaning from. Then I was reminded that one of the first books that I was assigned to read whenever I was in Bible college was this book right here, which is called A Tale of Three Kings. Has anybody ever read this book before? A Tale of Three Kings. Now, what this book is about, it tells a story of King, De- uh, King Saul, King David, and King Absalom. Which can I tell you guys, that story and these stories are full of twists and turns, ups and downs, victories and losses, pain and betrayal. Like, let me be the first to tell you that the Bible is so much better and it is so much greater than any other type of reality show, soap opera, or your grandma's novellas. Like, forget the Bachelorette. Forget Love is Blind. Forget Game of Thrones. When's the last time you just cracked and opened up the Bible or listened to the audio Bible of some Old Testament stories? Do that and tell me you don't feel some type of way. It is so much better than all that stuff and much junk that's out there. And that's why I think it's cool that they're starting to produce Bible-based TV shows and movies. And I hope that they continue to do that. But here's why I think the Bible is amazing. Because the Bible and the stories that we read in the Scripture actually happened. See, here at Riverside Church, we believe that the Word of God is true. It is inerrant, and it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That it isn't a fable, fiction, or fairy tale, but it is the actual retelling of history, which is ultimately about his story, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, the Bible isn't just a collection of random stories where we extract and grab random principles or random quotes that we put a filter on and we may look pretty so we can put it on our story on social media to try to impress other people. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible is. In actuality, the Bible is one story about how God created the earth, how it got messed up, and what he did to redeem it. 
It's been said that the Bible can be described and summed up in three words. Creation, devastation, and restoration. I'm going to say it again. Creation, devastation, and restoration. In other words, God created it. We messed it up. And yet, he is still redeeming it. And that's what we see all throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, in the life of these kings. Can I tell you, these kings messed up big time. They dropped the ball so many times, from King David to King Saul. They messed up, which amazes me of how Jesus Christ still was able to come through the family line and lineage of King David, despite all the mistakes. Because the Bible doesn't hold back any punches when it comes to laying out all their dirty laundry and all their mistakes. Like all, can you imagine somebody walking around recording your mistakes and putting it in scripture for like millions and billions of people? Like that's what we see in the Bible. Thank God we don't have somebody following us like that, right? But can I tell you that these things were written not so that way we can be prescribed and have permission to make the same mistakes, but rather they were described so that way we can learn from their mistakes and failures in their example, like the Apostle Paul said, I believe, in the book of Corinthians. For example, this past Wednesday, Pastor CJ brought a phenomenal message. Anybody hear that message this past Wednesday? And he preached a message called, When Warriors Don't Go to War. And he talked about King David and one of the lowest moments in his life when he committed adultery and he committed murder. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you haven't yet already. Because here's what you need to understand. In order for you to properly understand Absalom and his betrayal, you must first understand the sins that David committed. Because everything that David experienced with his son Absalom was a direct result of his own actions. Oh, it's been said before that every betrayal has a trail. I'll say it again. Every betrayal has a trail. And in fact, when you begin to look at his story and you see the moment whenever he committed adultery, he, ki- he killed Uriah, which Uriah was one of David's closest companions, one of his men of war. Yet he slept with his wife Bathsheba. He conceived a child, and he sent him to the front lines of the battlefield to be killed. Then the prophet Nathan approaches David, and guess, guess what he tells him? Check this out. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it says, Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause, get this, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in a public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. And yes, God did forgive David because David came to God with a heart of repentance and your God is a good and merciful God. But David still had to face the consequences for his sins and actions. Because back then, before Jesus, they were underneath the old covenant. They were underneath the law. 
which was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you get what you deserve, which is why we need to thank God for his grace and mercy in our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? But at the same time, can I tell you, we should never get the grace of God twisted and think that just because God's grace and mercy is in our life, that that gives us permission to do whatever we want without there being any type of consequence whatsoever. Yes, God does forgive you and not only forgive your sins, but forgets your sin, cast it as far as the east is from the west when you repent and you confess them unto him. And yes, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But can I tell you, on the same token, there are times when your decisions and your sins and what you do bring consequences to yourself, but not only to yourself, but to the people around you. In other words, don't be surprised when you sow in the flesh and then reap in the flesh, like the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament. And that's exactly the case for King David. In fact, when you begin to study the life of King David, you'll discover that everything that the prophet Nathan spoke and prophesied over his life came to pass. And his children gave him so many issues. History records that David had at least 19 sons, y'all. That's his first problem. I got so many boys, right? He had 19 sons, and and we don't have time to get into the details of every one of his sons and get into all the details of King Absalom, but I encourage you, if you want to do a deeper study this week, read five chapters starting from 2 Samuel chapter 13 from there, and you'll read the whole story of King Absalom. That's 2 Samuel chapter 13. Read it from there. But what I do want to do this morning is I want to give you a quick overview and give you some practical things that you can apply to your life. And one of the first points that I see and that stands out to me when you look from King David to King Absalom is this. And this is the first point. That king's decisions have the potential to affect generations. King's decisions have the potential to affect generations. Because here's what a king is. A king is a person of influence. And can I tell you? God has called you to be a person of influence. It doesn't matter if you're married with kids, if you're single and searching, if you're a teenager. I came to tell you today that the decisions that you are making now and the decisions that you make today will affect you, the people around you, and especially those closest to you for generations to come where you are either establishing generational blessings or you are establishing generational curses. Oh, I believe the truth of the matter is I believe that if we could really see the long-term effects and the end result of a sinful lifestyle, we'd be so much quicker to repent and quit and go the other direction. But many times we just experience what it feels like in the pleasant moment. And sin is pleasurable for a season, but it's just going to lead to death. See, here's one thing I want to tell you. As children of God, as saints, as Christians, we cannot afford to play with sin. You cannot play with sin just like you cannot play with fire. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Like, who's ever heard the saying, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned? I learned this the hard way, y'all. 
few years ago when we got the church property and we began to tear all the brush down and put everything in the piles, um, we had somebody that we hired to go and burn it. And whenever we did that, there was only about one smaller pile left. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, don't worry. I'll take care of that last pile. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. He said, son, oh, man, you know, I could feel the hesitancy in his voice. He said, boy, he said, be careful. Be cautious. He said, you cannot play with fire. You cannot get comfortable. You got to be careful. Don't use gasoline. He said, use diesel. It's slow burning. So I said, dad, I got it. Don't worry. It's just a little small pile. We're going to go burn it. So I call a friend from church. I'm like, hey, bro, we got to go take care of this pile at the church, you know, at the church property. Let's go. And it was getting later. We got, we got a, uh, a gallon of diesel fuel. We went out there, and, and we began to pour it on the, on the brush, and we set it on fire, and it was slowly burning. And I ain't going to lie, y'all. We're having a little bit too much fun. We're, have, we're getting a little too comfortable with the fire, you know. And, and it ended up burning, and the fire died out. But there's still a section that still needed to be burned. And I got impatient. I didn't want to have to go all the way back to the gas station to get another thing of diesel. But I had a gas can in the back of my truck. I said, let me just go grab this gas can. It's a small thing. Let me go ahead and grab it. And I went over there. I was like, the fire's burning out. We're good to go. And, and my friend's right there next to me. And I got the gasoline can. And I'm pouring it, y'all. I'm just, I'm like, there's no fire in here. It's all dead. I'm pouring it. My friend's right here with this phone light. You know what I mean? Giving me some light for everything. And I'm right here. And I'm standing more or less in like, close to the brush. And I will never forget, it was like in slow motion, y'all. Apparently, there was still a fire ember in the fire because a spark happened, and all of a sudden, that gasoline ignited, and it happened so quick. We felt like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire because it just engulfed us. And I kid you not, I looked down. It happened so quick. I looked down at my feet. I am standing in the fire. I jump out so quick, y'all. And it could have been way worse. Thank God I was wearing some pants and I was wearing some sneakers, y'all. And the only part of my body that was exposed was a piece of my ankle. Like, I'm wearing long socks right now and everything. But a small little part of my ankle was exposed. And, y'all, that thing blistered up so bad. And the bottom of my shoes, the rubber just began to melt. And, y'all, it's, it's on that day I learned you can never be comfortable or play with fire. The dumb way, really not the hard way, the dumb way, stupid way. Learn from my mistake. But can I tell you something, Riverside Church? Can I tell somebody watching online right now that in the same way, we should never become comfortable and we should never play with sin because, yes, it may be fun at first, but can I tell you, eventually you will get burned. And even worse, you can burn the people that are around you. I'm reminded of a proverb. Check this proverb out. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 through 29. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 through 29. It says this right here. Check this out. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. You know who's responsible for writing the scripture right here? King Solomon. The wisest king there ever was. Who, get this, happened to be David's 11th son. And I wonder if the reason he wrote this scripture down and he wrote this proverb down was because he saw the toll and the effect 
that his father's sins and decisions had on the rest of the family. And he learned early on that sin is a lot like fire. And you don't play with sin. You don't play. Ask King David. Ask Absalom. He was a pyro setting fields on fire, going crazy, playing with sin. Look how it ended up for him. And I say that to say this, to speak to every man, to speak to every woman, to speak to every husband, to speak to every wife, to speak to every king and queen and tell you and encourage you that if you have anything in your life, any sin that you need to confess and repent of and bring before the Lord, do not wait until tomorrow. Bring it to his feet today because can I tell you something? It pays off and it is worth it to live a life of surrender, to live a life of consecration, to live a life of holiness, to live a life of righteousness, it is worth it. Will you be perfect? No. Will you make mistakes? Yes. But when you make a mistake and you fall short of the glory of God, you need to fall on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I repent. I play with the fire. I got burned. Oh, come on. If you don't do this for yourself, for goodness sake, at least do it for your children. Do it for your family. Because can I tell you, generations are counting on you. Oh, come on. Is there any men and women of God in the building that are ready to break generational curses and establish generational blessings where you are going to say, man, this this cycle of addiction ends with me and my family and my bloodline. This pattern of adultery ends with me. These habits and decisions, I'm breaking the back of it right now in Jesus' name. My kids will not pay for my mistakes and stops with me. Oh, come on, somebody. Can you give God a shot of praise in this place if you know that you serve a chain-breaking God? Thank you, Lord. Oh, come on, somebody say, don't play with the fire. Oh, we got we to be careful. Your decisions matter. The lifestyle that you have matters. You, have, you are a person of influence. People are counting on you. God is counting on you. Stay focused. Keep your heart pure. Keep focus on Jesus. Run the race that God has called you to live. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but when I stand before the Lord one day, I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come on, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Prepare now, single people. Prepare now. Prepare yourself right now. Don't wait. Don't say, I can't be used by God until then. No, no, no. God can use you no matter your age, no matter how much money you got. God wants to use you now. We got to go back to King Absalom. I'm going to go down a whole bunch of rabbit trails right now. I got like 10 in front of me right now. I can go down. Stay on track. Oh, come on. Is anybody getting this word this morning? But when you think about King Absalom, I think about this, how Absalom had everything going for him. It seemed like Absalom was set up for success with his looks, his stature, his hair. The Bible says he had long hair, right? But yet he betrayed his father. And can I tell you, like, I think he would have been king if he would have played his cards right. But he betrayed his father, and it wasn't just because of his... It was, there wasn't just a betrayal because of his father's actions, but there was, a, there was a betrayal because also of his lack of action. Because if you do a deeper study, you'll discover what it was that really set Absalom off was this. When Absalom's half-brother, Amnon, raped Absalom's sister, Tamar. 
His half-brother raped his sister, which was a wicked and is a wicked and vile and evil thing that took place. And yes, Absalom had every right to be upset, just like we should be angered and have a righteous anger when we see evil things take place. But here's a determining factor, how you respond to those things. Not repaying evil with evil, right? Many times for a lot of first world problems that we have today was what I'm saying. But David didn't really deal with it. The scripture says that David was furious, but he failed to do anything to properly correct his son Amnon. And when David found out that his son Amnon died, because get this, what Absalom did was he took matters into his own hands. He said, okay, my father's not going to do anything about it. I'm going to do something about it. Tamar, you stay with me. I'm going to throw a party. For two years, he was planning and plotting to have Amnon killed. He has a party with all his brothers. He has his servants kill Amnon. David hears about it. And when David hears about it, he's upset. Absalom runs to Gerish, where his grandfather was, who was king on his mother's side, and he is there for three years, and it's then that David calls for him, and that's where we picked up in our opening scripture. When David calls for Absalom, Absalom comes back, but the only stipulation was, David said, I don't want to see Absalom. I'm not ready to see him. He can't be in my presence. So Absalom is there. He sets a field on fire to get the attention of his father. Come on, has your kids ever done something crazy to get your attention, right? Hopefully not set a field on fire. David calls Absalom to come forward, and there seems to be a moment of reconciliation where they seem to embrace one another. But guess what? Right after that, we see Absalom's true colors come forth, and we see that there's still bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart because the scripture says that he hired 50 bodyguards he got a horse and chariot and for the next four years he began to undermine his father's authority and he schemed to steal the throne and he would do things like stand at the city gate early in the morning as people came in from all over israel to bring their disputes before the king and absalom would say let me look at your case oh yeah I know I got good-looking hair, you know, I know. Yeah, this case right here, oh, if I was king, you would get justice. I'd make sure you get taken care of. But good luck with the king. And he would do that to every person. The problem with that is what if you have two people that are suing one another, right? It was a win-win for Absalom. When they went to the king, they, and they thought to themselves, man, if I, I wish Absalom was king. See, and the scripture says that he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel, undermining his father's authority. And it's then that he tells King David, he said, I gotta go to Hebron. I gotta go make some sacrifices. I gotta go worship God. I gotta take care of some unfinished business. He goes there, but in reality, what he did was he raised up a rebellion. He proclaimed himself to be king. Illegitimately proclaimed himself and deceived others to trick him to think that he was the king. King David hears about this. David's in Jerusalem. He doesn't want his people to be caught in the crossfire. He flees and runs with a group of soldiers, leaving 10 of his wife, uh, 10 of, that's one of his problems too, 10 of his concubines behind. Absalom comes in, get this, when Absalom comes in and takes over Jerusalem in an act of defiance and rebellion, Absalom sets up a public tent where the whole nation of Israel could see whoever goes in and out of the tent and he sleeps with 10 of David's wife as an act of rebellion and defiance, fulfilling what the prophet Nathan had spoken over David, saying that your wives will be taken. 
And what you've done in private, everybody will see it. Then Absalom goes to war with his father. And he dies in a humiliating way, which we'll talk about here in a second. But get this. Absalom, the one who had the potential to be king, the one who had everything going for him, got taken out prematurely. I believe the root of it, I mean, of course, there's pride, there's ego, but I believe the root of it was bitterness and unforgiveness. Second point I want to give you is this. Absalom allowed unforgiveness to rob him of his kingship. Absalom allowed unforgiveness to rob him of his kingship. Like I said, the the sad thing about King Absalom was he had everything going for him with his looks and stature. But it was his bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment that robbed him of his true kingship. He was the wannabe king, but he was not the true king. He was the people's king, but he wasn't God's chosen king. I'm reminded of Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not. Did you know that there were times in the ministry and life of Jesus when the people tried to take Jesus by force to try to make him be king over them? But the scripture says that he fled and he got away from the doing that because his time had not yet come. Check this out. John chapter 6. Check this out. John chapter 6, verse 15 says it like this. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Why did Jesus, I thought he was the king of kings, right? Why did he not allow them to make him king? Here's why. Because Jesus did not come to be verified and be proclaimed king by people. Jesus came to be be proclaimed king by God. And Jesus knew that there were things that he had to fulfill. There were things that he had to do, he had to do to fulfill the righteousness, to fulfill the law, to do everything, to fulfill the prophecy before he would be seated on high as king of kings and lord of lords. One of those things being when Jesus being wrongfully accused, your Savior, your Lord, your God, knew no sin, perfect, spotless, blameless, last person that that deserved to be on the cross, took our place. They chose Barabbas, the same people that said, Hosanna, 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 as Jesus came in on a donkey with the same people saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The religious leaders persecuting him. Jesus being whipped and beaten, nailed up on a cross, hung up high, stripped naked, exposed, dying in one of the most shameful and painful ways. And you know what your Jesus does? He stands and he's hung up on the cross. And he cries out. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The very people that were in the middle of killing him, the very, he forgave them. And what makes us think, y'all, if Jesus did that, I know you're not Jesus, obviously, but if Jesus did that, why can't we forgive and let go of that bitterness and that unforgiveness and, and that pride that we hold against people? 
why can't we forgive? If Christ has forgiven us, let's forgive people. If Christ loves us, let's love people. See, because if there is one thing, oh, come on, somebody, I feel this. This word is like a fire in my bones. I got to preach it to you all the way I feel it. If there's one thing that will rob you from stepping into your God-given purpose and the kingship anointing that God has placed over your life, it is unforgiveness and it is bitterness. Some of us think that we're hurting the other person or the other party because we haven't forgiven them. But guess what? You're really hurting yourself. Today is the day where you forgive and you let go of those things. Oh, come on. Even if they didn't ask for it. They didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, can you forgive us? He forgave them. They do not know what they forgive. I'm not saying to trust 100%. I understand there's a fine line. Use wisdom and everything. But forgive. Let go. Absalom allowed unforgiveness and bitterness to rob him of his kingship. Oh, and also, this came to me. He didn't honor his father. One of the commandments, honor your father and mother. One of the things, you know what one of the things that Jesus did when he was on the cross? Whenever he was on the cross, he looked to John, the only disciple that was right there, and he said to John, standing next to Mary, he said, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, before Jesus paid the ultimate price and he said it was finished, he wanted to make sure that his mother was taken care of. You got to honor. You got to love. You got to forgive. Anybody getting this word this morning? I know this is a convicting message. Alicia, you can go ahead and come up. Thank you, Lord. I feel like the Holy Spirit's really just dealing with some people right now. And I know this is a convicting and challenging message, but I'm being obedient to what I felt God wanted me to share with my church family. Before we leave this place, I want to give you five signs of an absolute spirit. Really quickly. Five signs of an Absalom spirit. Now, whenever I say Absalom spirit, I'm talking about the characteristics and the qualities that Absalom had that if we're not careful, can enter into our lives and affect it negatively. We're going to talk about these five things real quick. And let me tell somebody something real quick. This is not so that way you can diagnose someone or point at people in this church or person behind you, in front of you. Somebody in your office say, you have an Absalom spirit. Get it, take care of you. No. The word of God is like a mirror. This is for you to reflect on your own heart and your own life. Because can I tell you, many times when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. I felt God convicted me, and I had to repent of some things this past week as I was studying for this message. See, we, I'm telling you right now, church, we cannot allow an absent spirit to influence us and affect us in the wrong way. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to divide and conquer, thank you, Lord. And we are all susceptible to these things. We are all susceptible to these things. It can happen so quick. It can happen so quick. It can happen right after you leave this building. Something comes up and boils up. Think about Peter, right? He told Jesus. He said, you are, the, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. But just as quickly as he did that, when Peter rebuked Jesus from going to the cross, he said, Satan, get behind me, speaking to the spirit that was influencing him. It can happen so quick, but that can also happen gradually and slow. 
It didn't just happen overnight for Absalom. Two years he planned to kill his brother. The scripture doesn't say he ever went to David and tried to deal with it. No, he said, I'm taking this under in my own hand. If we're not careful, y'all, we can allow things to boil and set in, and you're making yourself miserable. we got to identify these things. The first sign of an absent spirit I want to give you this morning is this. And you're getting a lot of stuff I didn't even say during first service, y'all. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The first sign of an of a absent spirit is this. Hidden agendas. Hidden agendas. This is when people appear one way on the surface but have impure motives that other people don't know about. They have a, a, a facade, a face. They try to like, I've heard it said before, be careful with the person that's pouring sugar all over you because they could be getting ready to eat you. Right? Oh, you, Hercules, I don't know where that's from, but it's like, you're so amazing. But in their heart, I think of Absalom. What did Absalom do? Stood at the city gate, standing there with all of his men, everything. Come here. Oh, if I was king, I would take care of that. Everything would be taken care of. He didn't care about getting justice. He cared about himself. He had a hidden agenda. Is there hidden agendas in our life? Next one is this right here. And if this is resonating with you, just keep on looking forward. Keep on looking forward. Next one is this, gossip. Gossip is a sign of an absent spirit. And I believe that this needs to be addressed in every church in the nation, every church in the world, in every organization, in every place of business. Gossip. See, the church should be a safe place for people to come and hear the word of God preached, be edified, built up, discipled, hear the gospel. This should be a safe place. We don't have any time for any type of games, for there to be any lies or slandering or backbiting and gossip. The only thing that should be spreading around here is the gospel, not gossip. Oh, come on. If we hear gossip taking place, let's not be part of that. Let's shut it down. We should be, the very people that we're fighting against should be the people we're fighting for many times. And this isn't just something, this isn't just for the church. This is for your home. This is for your marriage. Be careful of getting that phone call from that friend and laying out all the dirty laundry in business because that's what the enemy wants. Bring it to the other party. Bring it to the person. Bring it to God. And don't think just because you end a gossiping session with, let's pray for them. Oh, God, but, 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 there's, oh poor. God bless them, Lord. That does not make gossiping right. That is a sign of an absolute spirit, and that will not be a thing. Oh, come on, somebody. We're going to kill it at the root in Jesus' name. Absalom undermine. Went behind his father's back. The next one is this, an opposing vision. This is an opposing, opposing vision is a sign of an absolute spirit. This is when you hear things or even say things like, man, if I was in that position of leadership, I would make things run this way. I would do things like that. Why are we doing that? We should be doing this. Why, 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 why this? Why that? An opposing vision. 
and that submitting to the vision of the people that God has placed in leadership, not just here at church, but another place. And you want to know what division is? Division is simply two opposing visions. And the enemy wants to divide your marriage. He wants to divide the church. We're going to have one vision, have our eyes on Jesus, gaze upon him, run after him. Don't allow small things to bring division. Next one is this, rebellion. Rebellion. This is when people purposely go against or gather people to go against a cause, a mission, or a person or a group of people they rally to. And did you know that the Bible says that rebellion is a form of witchcraft? The Bible says rebellion is a form of witchcraft. Lucifer, what did you do in heaven? One-third of all the angels, he rebelled against God. He thought he was the one deserving of the worship, and he gathered, and he, that's an absolute spirit. But God cast him, and one-third, out of heaven. Absalom. We see that. We see all these things in Absalom's life. And lastly is this, vanity. Somebody say vanity. Oh, man, this is vanity. This is a form of pride and ego. And can I tell somebody something? Pride always comes before the fall. And you want to know what's you want to know what's interesting about Absalom's life. Get this: the very thing that launched Absalom into the place and position that he was in as the people king, as the people's king, his looks, his charm, his stature, his long hair—I believe that was speaking of pride—was the very thing that took him out. Because the scripture says that one day when he was in battle as he was riding the horse, that his hair that was long got caught up in a tree. And he got stuck, and he couldn't move, got stuck in a tree, Absalom. And David's soldiers came, and they took Absalom out. And when David heard about it, the scripture says that David was so heartbroken. Because even though his son did him wrong and betrayed him, he still loved his son, and he didn't want him to die. But that's what pride will do. Pride is a silent killer. Pride will take out a ministry. Pride will take out a marriage. Pride will take out an organization. Pride will, will rob and keep you from stepping into everything that God has called you. See, pride is a self-serving and self-promoting spirit wanting to receive all the glory. But can I tell you, you are never called to receive the glory. You are called to reflect the glory back onto Jesus and put your hand up to heaven and say, God, thank you for who you are in my life. I don't want pride to enter in my heart. Oh, come on. Stand to your feet this morning. Anybody receive this word? Maybe this is something that needs to be addressed right now in the season that we are in as a church. Can I tell you something? God is doing incredible things here at Riverside. Exceedingly, abundantly, but what we can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. With the building, with the people, three services. Y'all, come on. God is doing amazing things. Not only here at the church, but around the nation. The revivals that are taking place. 
the Spirit of God that is moving. But you know what the enemy wants to do? Divide. Separate. He wants an Absalom spirit just to slip in. And it can be just a small crack in our armor if we're not careful. But I don't know about you. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm putting on the full armor of God, and I'm coming uh, uh, I'm coming with the sword of the Spirit, and I'm coming against the enemy, and no weapon formed against me and my family and my church will prosper in the name of Jesus. Let's not allow those things to enter into our heart. Oh, come on, somebody. I want us to pray right now as we get ready to worship. I don't know who this word was for in the building or watching online, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving and convicting right now. Just submit to it right now. If you're in this place, if you're watching online, and if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make that decision and make that commitment right now. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, I repent. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and that you rose. Come on, confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come on, right now in this moment, if you have your wife next to you, your spouse, your family, lock hands right now in this moment because a strong church is made up of strong families and say, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. God, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for any wrong. We repent. We repent, Lord. God, right now, we will not allow the spirit of Absalom. We will not allow those things to enter into our heart right now, Lord. It's all about you. It's all about you. No weapon formed against us will prosper in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we have the victory right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.